Good morning, everyone. This is the DOLW3 podcast. We are a group of watchers in the Diocese of Lansing. We uh, offer voice, give voice to um, the church, to the uh, for the lay people who are um, in fear of coming forward. We offer um, guidance and help for that to use your voice, and we are learning to use our own voice as lay people in the um, Catholic Church. Okay, I think I think using our voice in the church is a gift of hope, you know, and in hope we have we have hope in God, we have hope in Jesus, we always have hope, no matter how rough the times get. This has been a difficult week for us uh, Catholics, and I'm sure for many of you um, that uh, in Michigan, uh, their constitution is now going to be changed, and um, the wording is going to allow um, abortions. And um, unfortunately, the loopholes in there, lo- uh, parents will lose some of, lose their rights to speak up for their children, to um, you know to advocate for their children. The parents are going to be losing rights. People don't understand that all of that. But that's the way the world is headed with with this kind of um, language in the Constitution. You know, abortion is being, um, you know, proclaimed as a medical right. You know, I think, you know, we really need to look at that. But this isn't a podcast about abortion. I'm just saying it's been a difficult week for many of us to have that in the books, in the Constitution now. But what I do want to talk about, and I think it goes along with the abortion uh, laws being changed and, and how, you know, no longer do we really understand um, what is truth, uh, what, is, what is error, what is right, what is wrong. There are so many things in our society now that... Um, it's like the two lines are crossing and it's become such a gray area to know right from wrong on so many levels. And so that brings me to something I read uh, in a bulletin from the Lapeer Church, uh, Catholic Church. Um, anyways, it's from uh, Venerable Fulton Sheen. America, it is often said, is suffering from intolerance. It is not. It is suffering from tolerance of right and wrong. Truth and error, virtue and evil, Christ and chaos. Our country is not nearly so overrun with the bigoted as it is with the broad-minded. That is from Venerable Fulton Sheen. That really struck me. In fact, it struck me to just begin to um, start with the basics, like to look up words that he's saying and, and understand what all this means to us in society and why in the 60s did he see the need to write this? It's, it's as, to me, as valid today as when he first proclaimed this statement. Um, so uh, he says America is suffering from a tolerance of right and wrong. How about that? A tolerance of right and wrong. For me, reading between those lines... Um, I can bring in Randy Angles and um, within the church defining well, what we've become tolerant of, um, where is the right and wrong. And um, let's just think a minute about what it means to be right. 
I looked up the word right. It means conforming with or conformable to justice, law, or morality. In accordance with fact, reason, or truth. Correct. You know, I want us to focus maybe today on morality and how do we come to reason these things out. And then let's talk about what wrong means. Not in, not in conformity with fact or truth. Incorrect or erroneous. Contrary to conscience, morality, or law. So it's contrary to be wrong to all of that. It seems though, you know, this is just myself, that we used to, we used to know, really truly know what right and wrong is. Um, and now as we see, you know, with so many things in society, and then along with um, things going on in the church with the scandals, um, just, you know, things that pop up and we know they're wrong. Um, but when, when they happen and we see that the hierarchy has, quote, taken care of the problem, and you look, you look at that and you think, what did they really take care of? And I think if we went to the victims, um, to victims and, and, and sat them down and got them in a group discussion with, with clergy and um, with them, with uh, some of these little voices in the church uh, and debated and debated what, what was wrong in that and what was right and, and how can we make it right. And, you know, and that led me to thinking about trust and how there's a loss of trust. So I'm gonna keep going. Um, and I guess I wanna tie that right and wrong thing together. Um, you know, the lines have become so gray um, for people. You know, um, the one thing that keeps coming to mind for me is in society, you know, someone can, you know, go in and rob in the store and, you know, leave and when the police come and, and chase them and they you know they tell them to stop and then they get shot um, now it's the police's fault it's um, you know we have um, uh, I just it was just reported to me we have one policeman every week in this country die one policeman every every week in in this uh, country die that's that's a lot of policemen who offer their service to protect us. Um, and things are getting really crazy now, uh, even more so. But I'm not going to get into all of that. But it begins to, you begin to say, what is right and what is wrong? Um, do people know that when they're holding up a store or breaking into a store and they're stealing something? doesn't have to be a lot. That stealing is wrong. Do we even know that anymore? And who, who committed the crime? You know, I mean, if you walk around um, all the time and and don't uh, don't do these things in my mind you know I mean if you're just law-abiding and do your job and do what you're supposed to um, do you have a problem with the police maybe so maybe I don't understand this anymore maybe I'm just too old to understand all that but I you begin to see that um, you know what is true and what is false uh, what should we tolerate, um, you know, anymore? 
and 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 then I I think of the abortion and I think of the babies at nine months, nine months, can be um, injected with a solution and then uh, and then aborted and and killed, murdered. All right, so um, I looked up. Uh, like I said, the word wrong, and then moral conscience. Um, we have got, in our, in our moral conscience, are we to the point now, are we in a society that wrong means right? Does wrong mean right to many people, to many of us? Um, and and where, where is that coming from? We have the decomposing in the church, um, the decay, um, you know, and how is this happening? And then we look at what is being taught to us in, um, in the homilies and in our church um, on a weekly basis. Uh, a week ago or so, I did a podcast, and, you know, and the priests uh, and the bishop in, in the Diocese of Lansing came out and, you know, were, you know, saying, oh, vote no on Proposal 3 and giving us all this literature. And I gave kudos to, kudos to them, and, and rightfully so. But also other members of the group, and I agree with them, brought it up to me that, hey, all these years, what have we been hearing on how Catholics should behave, how priests should behave when the scandals are going on? What are we being taught? And, you know, I look at what I'm reading here in Randy Ingalls, and I say, well, in Randy Ingalls, we have seminarians who um, have to be silent, otherwise they, they won't be able to become a priest. And so they, that moral dilemma of, I see this homosexual behavior going on, and it's my bishop, and it's uh, one of the seminarians, or two of the seminarians sleeping with the bishop, um, or sleeping with the priest um, as being sanctioned as okay. And then if you're a seminarian who's like, I'm not, I'm not going to do that, and you speak up, then you are punished. That brings me to, um, in our church, or in our Lansing Diocese, I, I read a report um, uh, a few months back. It was put out by Church Militant, but it was written by Jay McNally and um, about a wicked priest. And um, I'm not going to say names right now because I get concerned about who's going to get hurt or harmed by it. But um, so you have, you have the priest who was committing, you know, uh, the wicked deeds, which was homosexuality. And then you had the priest who lived in the same house with him, who worked with him and in the same parish. And he called him out on it. You know, hey, you know, that's just not going to go. And guess who got punished? Yeah, guess who got punished? And so again, the obscurity. And you know when that incident came down to our little parish, St. Francis in Otisville, little town in uh, Michigan, when that came about, and because he had been our priest, the, the good priest who spoke up, had said, uh, you know, was, was a good guy. And so when the word came to us, like word travels, and it came down to us that he was being punished, because he was a rebel. It didn't come down to us as, my goodness, he spoke about uh, a wicked priest who was a homosexual and a well-known homosexual, as it was reported in this article. Um, 
So again, the obscurity in that of what is right, what is wrong, you know, um, and and the bottom line is, and I think it, Jordan Peterson, who is a clinical psychologist who recently left the university that he um, was professor in for many years, um, because he was going to have to put um, uh, prefixes on people's names, like students' names, and I don't know exactly what they were, but you know, we have a Mr., a Mrs., and a Ms. Well, he was told that he had to start differentiating for the homosexuals, the LGBT group, and they would be names like before the prefix would be like Z-E or, you know, Z-U, and he refused to do it. And, and so he ended up leaving and has gone off on his own, and he's always been a seeker of truth. If you ever want to listen to someone about how to be truthful and... Um, you know, face the truth head on. You may go through pain for a while, but eventually um, truth turns into goodness. And so if all of us decided today that we were going to follow truth and we were going to look at truth and um, be truthful in our actions, and um, we would begin to, I think, um, erode this this uh, obscurity that we see in what is right and what is wrong. Okay, so um, with that, we're going to go on just a little bit of, you know, I, I said that, you know, you know, Fulton Sheen and his, you know, oh, great knowledge. And, you know, he does many videos if you ever want to watch him. Um, he saw all this unraveling and this lack of truth and knowing what truth is. Um, he saw this back then. So I want to tell you a little story that happened to me the other day. And this was, uh, we were out to dinner with uh, girlfriends. Um, we're out together from, we worked together at General Motors for over 30 years together. And we still meet um, about every three months and uh, just talk and stuff. Well, this time it happened to be right after the um, midterm elections in Proposal 3. Many, uh, several of us were upset about that. I was shocked at one of the gals who is Catholic. Shocked, but not not shocked, because I think she is um, kind of a snapshot of what many Catholics are going through, you know. And I think it is a lack of faith, a lack of formation um, into what we believe and being really rooted in um, the gospel. So, uh, anyways, I was going to tell you, so we started talking about the um the the outcome for Michigan and what it meant and and then this gal spoke up and she said she said oh it's all a bunch of hogwash you know uh, a woman has a right to an abortion um we you know i said to her you know even you do, you do believe that even up until till birth and she goes absolutely a woman has a right to um do what she wants with her body it's it's her right to medical procedure and the, you know and, and you can't help but think you know this is what we're being fed on tv now what if we were being fed at the ambo of what is acceptable what what jesus expects of us as women as carriers of life uh, of the innocent um, what if we were hearing that and that's where you know 
last week I was giving those kudos to yay you know guys you're uh, you're um finally you know you're doing something and actually I thought finally doing something for um pro life um but what about we're not hearing that we're not giving being given substantial food the flock is not being fed substantial food there are a few churches in our Lansing diocese um the one in Lapeer, and also, I believe, Holy Rosary here in Flint, too, they give a lot more truth and a lot more substance to what these Gospels mean in terms of how we use it today. So this gal, she said, you know, that she just definitely, and she ended up, she was watching Mass. She watches Mass now on TV. I believe it's since the pandemic she was watching it um, and not going to church. And... um she said that the the priest started talking about the proposal and she turned it off. She said she just didn't want to hear it, you know, that, you know, a woman has a right to her body. And, uh, and then you can't help but think, well, we've got a president who's Catholic, who is also, you know, pro, uh, pro-abortion. And we have Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House, third in line to become president. Um, She is pro-abortion and Catholic. What are Catholics to believe? And is this not the way of Satan? Is this not the way of evil? You know, it comes in, it slowly migrates up, you know, until we don't know right from wrong. All the generations coming up now believe totally that, um, you know, unless they're really, you know, raised with Christian values, but the average citizen, as it showed in Michigan, doesn't care, does not care about those babies. And uh, with all the technology, with all the science we have, with these beautiful ultrasounds, how clear that baby is in there, alive and vital and, you know, viable. Okay, so, and that, my whole point is, um, is that, you know, it's that obscurity now that we have. So we're going to read, I'm going to give you a little more here on tolerance and what Bishop Fulton Sheen was talking about. We have tolerance. We have too much tolerance. So um, what is tolerance? Tolerance is the ability or willingness to tolerate something, in particular, the existence of opinions or behaviors that one does not necessarily agree with. And the final thing on that in that uh, definition was the tolerance of corruption. Think about that. Think about what corruption is and how you tolerate it. Because especially if you have that um, me, me thing um, is as long as it's not happening with me, in my family. It didn't happen to me in my family. Everything's good. When I go to church on Sunday, you know, it's not happening in my church, so I don't need to worry. Um, But that's how it takes over in society, where you begin to just tolerate so many things, as long as it's not happening to you. And um, I think Jesus expects much more of us in, you know, in the love of our neighbor. Okay, so uh, what is corruption? We define corruption as the abuse of entrusted power for private gain. 
corruption erodes trust. And that, that really struck me because I myself, you know, after going through what I did at HolyRedeemerBurton.org, I realized that my trust in priests, um, especially like after the scandals, more than one scandal um, over the years, more, more times than not coming back to hit us in the face, that it's all still been going on. And I had trust that they would stop this because that's what they did. They were the overseers of the church. They were the ones who took care of things. And then when I dove into this stuff to see how bad it is in the church, um, it's no wonder to me that it's not, it is as bad as it is in society. So what is a corrupt person? Someone who behaves in a way that is morally wrong. And I have to ask, do people today even know what moral, being a moral person is? Um, so, you know, so, you know, we need to think about that. What, what does it mean to be morally wrong? What does it mean to be morally right? All right. But the, in the end of this, uh, on what is a person, what is a corrupt person, um, I also noted down here, I'm going to read the whole thing. Someone who behaves in a way that is morally wrong, especially by doing dishonest or illegal things in return for money or power. Okay, now, and that's, you know, and when I think of money and power, you know, I think of it, you know, of course, of course um, as a main thing that um, most people become corrupt over. You know, I guess sex, you could throw that in there, but, you know, that, that is also about power. So, and often about money too. Um, so with, with that, you know, just, so, so these people morally wrong, especially by doing dishonest or illegal things in return for money or power, you know, do we know what dishonest is anymore? Do we care? You know, um, especially if you're looking at your more at morals and morality, um, all right, so, and there was a word that struck me too, is cronyism. It came up when I was reading the, the dictionary for different, different meanings on corruption. And cronyism came up as, you know, um, what so many people are, you know, so many, I shouldn't say so many, but there are people that, that follow this. And it is the appointment of friends and associates to positions of power. And you stop and think about how much that goes on. And it made me think of um, my uh, mishap. Uh, I guess that's not even a good word. But what happened to me at HolyRedeemerBurton.org with my pastor and um, and how uh, the staff just ran to his side and, you know, lifted him up as, as if he was God. This is how I see it. Um, lifted him up as, as if he was God. And all of them were able to, you know, because they all, one, have paid positions, I would think, that that had something to do with it, and that he could do no wrong. They couldn't even debate with me, um, you know. And, in fact, they found fault with myself and with some of the people I was working with, um, calling us names, mentally ill, bobblehead. Uh, the word wasn't really used, but it was insinuated as far as bobblehead goes. So... Anyway, so, uh, you know, that cronyism stuck to me. So, 
You know, we think of those with positions of power, how they wield it and use it. And, um, and they don't want to debate. And I think um, high time is the time where we should be sitting down and talking about these things with our pastors and telling them we want more of the uh, sweet milk of the Gospels and what they truly mean as a Catholic in the world. We need that. And um, our, the, the church, you know, for the decomposing church that is going on, the decaying in the church, you know, Christ is the head of the church um, and um, we are the body. And so much of the body is decaying um, that Christ does need um, the laity to stand up and use their voices and ask why we aren't getting these things. Little by little, I see people beginning to ask questions and we need to, the church needs to be fed and they need to be fed by the pastors um, at the AMBO. And even if it's not politically correct, which I think too many of us have, uh, too many of our clergy have become politically correct and, um, you know, are giving us what I consider baby's milk instead of real food. You know, maybe they can't give us everything, but they can start out bits and pieces, giving us a little more and a little more um, until we understand what effects we're having in the society. Okay, enough of Therese speaking. I'm going to start reading from the right of sodomy. Uh, Randy Angles in volume four, page 973. Although neither time nor space permits a full accounting of the charges of sexual abuse, the Reverend Marcial, Marcia, Marcial Mechiel de Gallo, de Gallado, founder of the Legionnaires of Christ, this writer believes that it is important to at least cite the essential details of the case uh, as an expression of solidarity with his accusers in the hope that they will eventually receive a fair hearing from the Holy See. Whereas in the United States today, one credible charge of the sexual molestation of a minor by a Catholic priest or religious is sufficient to merit an immediate suspension and an investigation by church authorities. In the case of Father Messiel, nine credible charges have not as yet been sufficient to bring this case before the highest juridical tribunal of the Holy See. And again, just an aside here, think of right and wrong. Think of Christ in chaos. Think of truth and error as we read this. On the contrary, following in the 1997 charges made against Father Machio, the Holy Father went out of his way to demonstrate his confidence in and support for the priest who, as the head of the, a religious congregation, reports to and is directly responsible to the Pope. On December 31, 2001, Angelo Car Cardinal Sodana, Sodano, Vatican Secretary of State, second in command at the Vatican Blessed, Vatican, blessed and inaugurated the new headquarters of the Pontifical Eighth Neum Regina Apostolorum, the Legion's University in Rome. In this short outcome of the nature of the charges against Machio that 
includes information on history of the order, the reader will recognize an uncanny number of similarities between Father Yergorty, founder of the Society of St. John, Matteo, the founder of the Legionnaires of Christ. And I'm not sure if I read you guys the title of this um, section that I'm reading. It's The Legionnaires of Christ, the Father Marcio Maceo case. So we're reading um, about his case, and he is of the Legionnaires of Christ. Early background on Father Maceo. Marcio Maceo was born on March 10, 1920, in Cogita de la Paz, in the lush agricultural state of Michoacan, Mexico, on the Pacific coast. His parents, Francisco Michio and Mauro de Galado Guizar, came from an honorable Catholic lineage that produced four bishops, including Bishop Bless, Blessed Rafael Guizar Valencia, who was beatified by Pope John Paul II on January 29, 1995, and one military general. I have to get a drink of water here, guys. On the Feast of the Sacred Heart of Jesus in 1936, the 16-year-old Mitchell believed he received a calling to the religious life from God. The first uncle to permit Michiel to enter into a, diocesan, a diocesan seminary was Bishop Raphael Guzner Valencia of the Diocese of Ver, Veracruz, Jalapa. There appeared to be some kind of misunderstanding at the seminary, and Michiel left to begin the rounds of others, including a seminary in the Archdiocese of Chihuahua to the north under his uncle Archbishop Antonio Guizar Valencia. He had been expelled from four seminaries when his uncle Bishop Francisco Maria, Maria Gonzalez Arias of the Diocese of Cuernavaca undertook the private religious training and formation of his nephew, who was intent upon starting a religious order of his own. Prior to his ordination in 1941, Mechiel began to attract a small group of pre-adolescent and adolescent followers to his new congregation called the Missionaries of Sacred Heart and the Virgin of Sorrows. Mechiel later changed the name to the Legionnaires of the Pope and finally the Legionnaires of Christ, an identification with the quasi-military model of the ancient Rome legions. His follower called Mechiel Nustro Padre our father, a practice that the founder encouraged. Mechio was ordained by his uncle bishop in the diocese of Cuernavaca, Morales, Mexico, on November 26, 1944, at the age of 24. According to Alejandro Espinosa Alcala, author of El Legionario and formerly one of Mechio's most trusted lieutenants, one year after Machiel's ordination, an accusation of molestation was made against him by Mr. D. La Isla, the father of three pre-adolescent boys whom he had placed in care of the Legion. After the youngest son confided to his father that Machiel molested him, the distraught father taxied from Quer 
Quiritero to the office of Mechio's uncle, Bishop Francisco Gonzalez in Cuernavaca to file a complaint against Mechio. Espinoza reports that Mechio was punished by his uncle Bishop Suspensio uh, Divisinus, and he was stripped of his priestly faculties. There is no record that Machio's status was ever regularized. Ignoring the sanctions, Machio continued to exploit his family's hierarchical connections and embarked on a campaign to raise funds for his fledging order from wealthy patrons in Mexico and Spain. In June 1946, while Machio was visiting in Rome, he attracted the attention of Pope Pius XII, who was said to be impressed with the young man's zeal and the concept of his new militaristic religious order. On July 13, 1948, the renamed Legionnaires of Christ was approved by Pius XII, who assigned the order the special apostolate or charism of recruiting and training priests for Latin America. That same year, Father Machiel established a junior seminary in a beautiful mansion in Talpan, a suburb south of Mexico City. He sent his older novices to the, to the University of Camillus in Santander, Spain. The Jesuit-operated university trained diocesan priests for Mexico, whose clerical ranks had been disseminated under a series of anti-clerical Masonic regimes. According to Espinoza, it was during confession and spiritual direction that these older candidates from Mexico revealed to Jesuit priest, rector Francisco Javier Beza, and the school's spiritual director, Father Lucio Rodrigo, that Father Mecha was involved sexually with his novices. Bound by the seal of confession and confidentiality, the two Jesuits searched out canonical means to clip Mechiel's wings and minimize his influence and power. Mechiel weathered the storm by attacking the Jesuits for their alleged, alleged resentments towards his new order. Got to get a drink here, guys. In the early 1950s, Mechiel established new seminary headquarters at Ontanida. Spain, where students received their training in philosophy and then went to Rome to re- receive their advanced degrees in theology at the Gregor- re- excuse me, Gregorian University. Pope Paul VI approved the Legionnaires of Christ as a congregation to pontifical rite in a decretum laudis, or decree of praise, issued on February 6, 1965. In addition to the traditional vows of obedience, poverty, and chastity, legionnaires take a fourth vow, the no-snitch vow. They swear not to speak ill of Nuster Padre Mechio or his legion and to report to their superiors anyone who does. Wow, that is just creepy. That is from me, Teresa. That is just creepy. As a rule, Mexican postulants are recruited at an earlier age than their American, Canadian, and Irish counterparts, sometimes as young as 10 or 12 years old. The former are frequently referred to as Machio's apostolic schoolboys, and because of their head start 
are often given better post and assignment than their North American brethren. This practice may account for the fact that all of Machio's accusers were either Mexicans or Spaniards. In 1970, Pope Paul VI made the Mexican state of Quintana Roo the personal prelature of the Legion. To date, the Legion claims a congregation of 515 priests, 2,300 minor and major seminarians and apostolic operations in over 92 cities in 20 countries. It is often looked upon as a traditionalist order along the lines of Opus Dei. The legions, the legions lay army, also founded by Father Machel, is called Regnum Christi, Kingdom of Christ. It is said to have 50,000 members worldwide and has its international formation center for laymen and women, as well as deacons and priests in Wakefield, R.I. It has an under undetermined number of lay people that can reach 400,000 persons among consecrated sympathizers and collaborators. I'm going to take a stab at personal prelature um, in case some of you have never heard that word, that term before. Personal prelature, in my understanding, and I can be corrected if someone would like to, you know, come on and uh, explain this better than I. Um, personal prelature means to, like, if you are in a region where there aren't enough priests and there, you know, there aren't um, priests who can help you or whatever, then a personal prelature can be granted by the Pope um, to um, lay members or whoever to... Um, to help um, form Catholics. So, um, and it probably can be uh, expounded on in much more detail, but it's, it's along that line when there's just um, a shortage of priests or not someone able to, um, to do that. All right. First investigation in Rome from October 1956 to 1950, or February of 1959, Father Machio was the subject of a Vatican investigation involving earlier charges of financial mismanagement, misrule, and personal misconduct, drug addiction not directly related to sexual abuse. According to Belgian Bishop Polidero van Vlierberg, OFM, the only surviving member of the investigative team who was at the time of his appointment serving as apostolic administers of Illipo, Chile, the legion seminarians in Rome, were interviewed under oath, personally and privately, and given every opportunity to level any kind of accusation against their superior. Father Mar Marcio Machio, none did include the young men Machio had allegedly molested. None of them were there. Wow. So very sad. Okay. Bishop Van Vliegberg stated that during this period, Father Machio was suspended from his office and left Rome. Although eyewitnesses claim that Machio never relinquished his authority over the legion and controlled it from afar. Although Vliegberg concluded that there was no evidence against misdeeds on the part of Father Machio of any kind. He did acknowledge that two Mexican bishops and a group of Jesuits 
supported the accusations against the priest. On February 6, 1959, Machel returned to his leadership post as Superior General of the Legionnaires of Christ without a canonical definition of the case. It was not until the Hartford Courant expose of the winter of 1997 that the darker details of the 1956 investigation were revealed. Readers should keep in mind two important facts about the 1956 apostolic visitation to the Legion's Seminary. First, the nine men who, some 40 years later, publicly charged Father Machiel with sexual abuse were not the same men who made the accusations that lead to the that led to the 1956 investigation. Second, the young men who said they were sexually abused by Father Machio prior to the 1956 investigation thought that their spirit, their superior was inve being investigated on charges of sexual molestation. They said they lied to protect Father Machio, the Legion, and themselves from the hint of sexual scandal. The Hartford Courant Breaks Story On February 23, 1997, the Hartford Courant, published in Hartford, Connecticut, in the Legionnaire's Backyard, released an explosive story titled, Head of a Worldwide Catholic Order Accused of History of Abuse by Gerald Renner, Courant, Courant Religion Writer, and Jerry Basin, author of Lead Us Not Into Temptation. According to the authors, after decades of silence, nine former members of the Legionnaires of Christ had come forward to accuse the Legion's founder and superior general, Reverend Marcio Machio de Galado, of sexual molestation when they were young postulants and seminarians in Spain and Italy during the 1940s, 50s, and 60s. Machel's accusers told the Quran that their, that their actions were galvanized by the ongoing re reluctance of the Pope and the Roman Curia to respond to complaints from at least two of the victims who had used official juridical channels established by the Vatican to present their complaints. The immediate provocation was the publication of a letter written by Pope John Paul II to Father Machiel, in which the founder of the Legion was held up as an efficacious guide to youth. The names of Marcel's accusers are Father Felix Alacron Hoyas of Venice, Florida, or Arturo Guardo Guzman of Monterey, California, Professor Jose Dija Barba Martin, Saul Barales, Aurelano and Jose Antonio Perez Olivera, all from Mexico City, and Fernando Perez Olivera of Monterrey, Mexico, Alejandro Espinosa Alcaya from rural Mexico, and Juan Jose Vega of Hallbrook, New York, Father Juan Manuel Fernandez Amnibar, a former Legion priest, left a statement before his death in 1995, that he had been sexually abused by Father Machio. Um, I just have to say and see this. Oh, when we when we read this, 
when um, when people are in power, when um, you know things are just go on and go on, and the silence that is um, sanctioned by power uh, over people is is um, is something that we cannot allow to be in the church anymore, and unfortunately. A lot of that still goes on. Um, there are new laws being put into place. You know, the current Pope has changed laws um, and added to them so that um, young um, people um, that are sexually abused, but as well as young adults when they come forward about abuse, um, adults at any age and especially vulnerable adults um, are now more protected than they ever have been. You know, but it's still, bottom line, it's up to us to be vigilant around us, to not let these go on. And, you know, I, I think of something a therapist told me one time. Um, she told me that it was okay to, to, to do white lies, to say, you know, something to, to you know, a white lie is not going to hurt if it's going to better someone. But I've come to realize um, over the years um, that... At first, and I was very young when she told me that, um, I thought that that was okay. But white lies only lead to bigger lies. And then pretty soon, you're just a liar. I mean, liar, liar, liar. Uh, and you begin, again, to not know right from wrong. That's what can happen. And so the same with um, being silent when you need to be truthful, no matter how painful it is, no matter what you're up against, sticking to the truth, focusing on what God wants and doing it and just sticking to it and holding your ground. Um, maybe doing some study about what you're being truthful about, you know, getting confidence in um, what others do, you know, watch videos of truth seekers and uh, you will be, you will become confident in speaking. Okay. Most of Matchell's accusers have filed sworn affidavits detailing the nature, the timing, and the extent of their sexual abuse by Father Matchell. A tenth accuser, Miguel, Miguel Diaz Rivera of Oaxa in South Central Mexico, issued a second affidavit following his initial tearful testimony to the current against Matchell. He claimed that he did not wish to be part of any trial against the founder of the order. As a group, these men are atypical of most victims of childhood sexual molestation who have come forward in recent years. None of the victims seek financial compensation from the Legion and none plan civil or criminal legal action against the party. Unlike most Catholic victims of clerical abuse, the majority of the accusers still cling to their Catholic faith and have no ideological acts to grind against the legion or the church. Most are engaged in academic, legal, or ministerial pursuits, except for Alejandro Espinoza, who operates a ranch in rural Mexico. The men say they are simply seeking the justice and accountability due them by the Holy Mother Church. You know, that is, is just so important to victims justice and accountability but you know i say this and um, i'm sure many would back me you know um, if it means going to criminal court it means going to criminal court um, especially when you follow the chains of command 
and you know all these victims um, that happened here um, follow the chain of command. I definitely believe there should be um, money, not just a handshake, money, but also um, publicly known that this is what happened. Publicly known, if that's what they want. Publicly known, know the the accusers. Have them out there. Have them publicly punished um, for what they have done. Uh, and uh, you know, it just makes you think of. Um, uh, for me, it makes me think of um, the Jewish Holocaust and how you know that accountability, that truth, that need to memorialize. Is there in the victims and the families and the losses? It is. It is the absolute same, if not worse, because we're talking about spiritual murder that happens to these young ones, to anyone that's that's victimized in the church. With regard to the 1956 apostolic investigation of Mechiel, his accusers confess that they were unable to reveal their dark secrets to the inquisitors out of a sense of fear and shame combined with an inordinate sense of duty and loyalty of, to the man they called Nuestro Padre. And I want to I highlight that. Um, an, an inordinate sense of duty and loyalty to the man they called Nuestro Padre. We have to be very careful with that, um, especially, you know, if, you know, you're a voice um, remember that um, your Nuestro Padre is Jesus, um, is God our Father. He is always the one to go to if you're not getting um, the proper response. He is always the one that you look to what he would want, what Jesus wants and what Jesus taught. And Jesus went to the cross, was crucified for what the Father wanted. And so, you know, we look to him. If, you're, if your priests, your bishop um, are ignoring, you go, to, you go to Jesus and you follow those channels and you follow them. And, um, you know, just like, uh, you know, you just follow them and stick with that. Don't let, don't let fear get in the way. Jesus told us to never be afraid. Do not be afraid when you're seeking truth. And again, I would highly suggest to you to watch videos and podcasts, listen to podcasts of Jordan Peterson um, on his um, Seeking Truth. All right. They were also aware that the scandal involving a charge of the unnatural vice made against a prominent churchman would bring the roof down a machio, the legion, and stain their own reputation. There was the very human temptation to be silent in order to ensure their ordination to the priesthood or to secure their current position in that order. And this is what we're dealing with today, you know. When when you look into the homosexual network and um, we we question, as um, uh, as watchers, we question when, what happened to Father Cohen, um, you know, when he, when he was punished, taken off his job, um, because he told the truth about a superior. And uh, we still question, you know, that um, you cannot be silent. And we were all so proud of the priest and the man that Father Cohen was when he stood up to 
um, and you know, because he was standing up for what was true and what was right, even though he ended up being punished. Uh, I say the same, um, you know, the same things are still going on, and we need to be vigilant. Arturo Herdo said that before the Vatican investigators came to the seminary headquarters in Rome, their headmaster told them that they were evil people of bad intentions and that the boys did not have to tell the truth. And do you see why Fulton Sheen says he could see this all was going on. All these things were going on and uh, what he could see, you know, and how he had to, you know, get out there and speak the truth. Um, and the, and what he said to us today, you know, we need to really look at that, you know, look at truth and error. Saul Borales, dubbed the charitable one by his classmates, said that in 1957, during the height of, his, of the investigation, Mitchell sent him to the Canary Islands to make sure he would not testify against the founder. Borales, Borales said he served as a drug procurer for Mechio. He told the current reporters that it was difficult to get drugs, morphine, from the drugstores because they were forbidden, they, they were illegal. But the nuns in Catholic hospitals were more inclined to give him drugs to take to Mechio. He said that although Mechio frequently approached him for sexual favors, he successfully resisted. He said that he would lie across the doorway of the bedroom when Machiel drifted off to sleep to keep other boys out of Machiel's clutches. Nine months after he had returned to Rome, Borales was expelled by Machiel from the order just short of his ordination. Talk about power and um, money and sex. Talk about that, huh? Okay. Oh, let's see. I think it's getting so close to the hour. I'm not going to go on to page 978. I was hoping to read this whole thing, but apparently I've talked too much today. But we're going to go into, um, it's it's still on this case of, case of Machiel. And uh, it's the next section is on unspeakable acts. So um, please keep us in your prayers. And we're going to close with a prayer today. Uh, we're going to say the Hail Mary today in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Mary, always with us, a mother that always stood by her son up, you know, to the end of the cross, to, to taking him down in the crucifixion, to always being there with her son and always being a disciple of her son. Mother Mary, um, we thank you. Um, you carried, you were an open womb. You carried Jesus in your womb. Um, even though you faced trouble by being um, an unmarried woman um, and could have been in much trouble, you said yes to our Lord without a bat of the eye. Mother Mary, um, lead us always to Jesus. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All right, all of you, until next time, um, God bless you all.